0: Blog Talk Radio Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is September the 22nd, 2017, and as always, it's a pleasure to join you, uh, catch up with you at the end of the week, and uh, see where we are and where we're headed. And uh, there's absolutely no shortage of stuff to talk about. Uh, this is, I have to make note of it, for uh, those of, uh, of the Jewish faith, this is the beginning of our new year. And no matter how you measure the year, I hope that this is a year that brings happiness, peacefulness, uh, tranquility, uh, success to you, and all those close to you. Uh, And it's great to join you. You know, last week I was not here. I was uh, over in a wonderful place called Grand Lake, Colorado, and indeed it was grand. They invited me to be the keynote speaker to celebrate Constitution Week. And I can tell you safely that with all that I have uh, experienced in my travels around the United States. I have never had a more exciting week uh, than I did that last week in Colorado. The folks of the town made me uh, feel so much at home that it was amazing. Um, and, in fact, I participated in a parade through the center of town. Uh, Bob Baylink uh, was the guy who drove me on the back of his Corvette, which was an amazing experience. I uh, met so many of the folks there. Um, Tom Goodfellow arranged the event, Tom did a phenomenal job Uh, I consider all these people to now be uh, my new friends And I plan to stay very much in touch with them And I could not help but think about the contrast Between the events at Grand Lake and what we saw at Berkeley Where Ben Shapiro, a conservative speaker Needed $600,000 of private security so that he could be safe That is a level of lunacy that I never thought uh, I would come to see in this country of ours, and it's something that should disturb all of us greatly, no matter what our perspectives are. But in any event, I welcome you to my program. If you're familiar with me, then you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS. Today, uh, the components of the INS uh, were cut into little pieces and spread around under the aegis of DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, the way it was initially configured by President George W. Bush, incredibly in the wake of the attacks of 9-11, I came to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender. The outrageous executive orders and policy decisions of the Obama administration left me furious as an American, as a New Yorker, as a retired agent to see how our borders, our immigration system, was left in a state of shambles. But finally, we do have a president, and we do have an attorney general, Jeff Sessions, President Trump, of course, who really understand the true significance of sovereignty, of secure borders, of how this is what is essential if we are to protect America and Americans, whether it's from criminals, whether it's from terrorists, aliens with dangerous diseases, people who would do harm to us or foreign workers who would take the jobs of American citizens. And this isn't about xenophobia. I am so tired of hearing about xenophobia. Folks, this is simply about putting American citizens first. Families put family members first. We put our children first. Countries are supposed to put their own citizens first. And it was interesting to listen to President Trump's speech at the United Nations where he espoused that very view, talking as he did about – Sovereign borders. I can't tell you how many times I heard him use the term sovereignty. Not only applying it to the United States, but recommending that all countries, all countries, um, exhibit sovereignty and make their own citizens the priorities of each and every one of those countries, but yet he promised that he would not meddle in the affairs of countries as long as their actions did not pose a threat to our safety and our well-being. And that's the right amount of balance, I believe, that we need to attain And you know for many years I've been writing for a number of websites I write for CapsWeb.org Californians for Population Stabilization Happy to write for them For a number of years now I've been a contributor to Front Page Magazine FrontPageMag.com Sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center And I also write for the Social Contract And I've been posting articles on Newsmax And uh, my friends at Newsmax Newsmax have been very generous in giving me opportunities to appear on their programs, uh, also on programs aired by One American News Network and by Blaze TV, specifically The Dana Show. I love being on with Dana. I think she does a terrific job. So here we are. Uh, I am a man on a mission trying to wake up as many of our fellow Americans and our our alleged leaders as possible as to the true significance of America's borders and America's immigration laws, and one of the issues uh, that I write or that I wrote about since uh, my trip, or actually before my trip, uh, was I, I looked at the uh, issue of immigration and the unlearned lessons of 9/11. Because if you look at what the 9/11 Commission talked about, they were crystal clear crystal clear that our immigration laws and our borders are our first and last line of defense. How in the world do you protect a country when you have no control over who comes into your country? Generally um, when we think about um, war and aggression armies, vast numbers of people go marching across international borders. The Russian general recently said tanks don't need visas the idea is that a tank just charges across the borders and attacks the uh, country that they're seeking to overrun. We've seen it time and time again. And virtually every border on this planet, folks, I want you to think about it. Nearly every border on planet Earth was not drawn in crayon, pencil, uh, or ink, but drawn with blood. Many borders were the result of armed conflict that cost many people, soldiers and noncombatants alike, their lives many more injured uh, upheavals on a galactic on a global scale i was going to say galactic scale but we're not there yet but sooner or later that may happen god knows but the point is that borders are significant we have doors on our houses with locks and peepholes and doorbells not because we're antisocial or because we're xenophobic we're being practical We want to make certain that people that come into our homes don't come to hurt us, don't come to rob, don't come to steal. Um, and That's a common-sense notion. And yet, going to the article that was published this morning on, again, frontpagemag.com, I hope you folks will check out my articles, California poised to provide sanctuary to alien criminals and terrorists playing politics with national security and public safety. This is now the latest development in in the wacky state of California, but we're seeing this across the United States, the push to eliminate borders, the push to blur the distinction between aliens who are here legally, whether they come on non-immigrant, that is to say temporary visas, or they come on permanent visas because they're here as lawful immigrants and they hopefully aspire at some point to become American citizens, to become a part of this. Phenomenal tapestry of America. You know, America is the most ethnically, religiously diverse country on the planet. So, when we talk about helping out Americans first, we're not making a statement of bigotry. We're simply saying, let's help our own citizens. We have over 300 million American citizens who are struggling, all too many. Not enough jobs, not enough good paying jobs, a lack of resources, overcrowded classrooms. Uh, just the other day, I, I heard a news report where the city of New York was expressing some joy, believe it or not, that um, the schools in, in New York City were attaining, uh, you better sit down and put on your seatbelt, a 40% literacy proficiency level by the students of a New York City school system, 40%, 40 I mean, really? And what will that 60% do when they become old enough to join the labor force? Where do you work if you can't read, write, speak English? And so the idea that we're going to turn America into a Tower of Babel and somehow this is going to have a happy ending is delusional. You look at the conflicts we're seeing with North Korea. Do you not think that North Korea would love to put their saboteurs, their spies, in the United States? They've all but declared war on us. And they're using technology, whether we want to talk about their missiles or nuclear weaponry. Much of it comes from countries that got the technology from us, from the United States of America. China right now has more than 150,000 foreign students studying the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, and math. It's delusional to think that we can defend America when you have terrorists, saboteurs, and spies freely accessing our country and that's what's happening a couple of weeks ago the um, justice department announced that a naturalized citizen from taiwan agreed to plead guilty to transferring nuclear materials illegally to china china has been helping north korea with its with its development it's a client state of china Finally, President Trump has been imposing more and more of his will, and so China at least appears to be more eager to help. I think they're getting alarmed at the idea that North Korea now threatens to detonate a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean. This is lunacy. This is is Dr. Strangelove running a country whose people are starving because all of the resources, all of the money, all of the efforts, all of the GDP, everything that North Korea produces – is being pumped into the North Korean military because you have a nutcase for, for a leader. And some people might have thought it was harsh for President Trump to refer to the leader of North Korea as Rocket Man, but what else could you call this guy? This isn't a game. This is not a game. And Russia has been recalcitrant about helping us, um, but finally, hopefully, there'll be some sanity here because the risks are that high. This is poses an existential threat to America and Americans. And during a time of war and conflict and and peril, the smart thing you do is you circle the wagons. You make certain that you don't permit people into your country who ultimately pose a threat to your safety and well-being. This is common sense. When you're told that there are burglars and home invaders wandering around your neighborhood, you lock your door. Maybe you put better locks on your door, in fact but the globalists out there in this country who are only concerned about flooding America with cheap foreign labor and cheap foreign, well, not cheap foreign tourists, but foreign tourists who will spend their money and they hope that they're wealthy, and flooding American schools with foreign students who then replace American workers. And by the way, when you give a foreign student that student visa, that student becomes eligible to take a job in the United States to obtain what's known as practical training. And we've had spies use that program, use that system to work for companies where they're able to steal property. China has no respect for intellectual property rights. They don't care about patents. They don't care about copyrights. We are destroying ourselves It's the death of a thousand slices, but it begins first and foremost with not securing the borders, making no distinction between aliens who come legally versus aliens who come illegally. And this is relatively new only the past couple of decades. If you go back to the 70s, the United States was reluctant, and many Democrats, indeed, were reluctant to allow refugees into America because of national security concerns and the the, the concerns that there weren't enough jobs to go around and so forth. But over time, the bribes offered through those campaign contributions have twisted the politicians so that they are now all too many of them all in about taking down America's borders. Look how controversial building a border wall is when we have heroin flowing across the border. But, by the way, the heroin is not just flowing across from Mexico, and I keep making this point. In fact, there was a, a Fox News article just a couple of days ago where they seemed astonished at the quantity of heroin entering the United States through John F. Kennedy International Airport. Well, interestingly enough, I began my career at John F. Kennedy International Airport as an immigration inspector. And I can tell you that during the 70s when I was there, it was not unusual that airplanes were met by doctors because people on the airplane had swallowed either balloons or condoms that had been stuffed with heroin, and they overdosed en route. And they had to rush them to the emergency room. In some cases, these people didn't survive. All too often, they took dead bodies off the airplane back in the 70s. This is not a new phenomenon. But what is new is the quantity of heroin and the level to which America has become addicted to heroin and opioids. And finally, after years and years, I don't know how many thousands of deaths and how many crimes committed by people desperate for the drugs or the drug cartels themselves playing out their battles on streets in the United States, suddenly – Suddenly, some of these state attorney generals are saying, well, we want to find out about the collusion, the decisions by the drug companies uh, to get people to take opiates, which is causing them to then go to heroin when they can no longer afford their prescriptions or the doctors can no longer give them prescriptions. How long did that take? How many billions of dollars got washed through the banks that lined how many politicians and bankers' pockets? So finally, now we're going to take a look at it. Take a look at it. The cemeteries are filling up with heroin victims, and they're going to take a look at it. I'm really impressed now. And by the way, for all the incredible cigarette commercials warning people to not smoke, why do we not see similar commercials warning people, especially young people, about the perils of taking illegal drugs, heroin, cocaine, meth? Where is it? Why are the commercials not being aired to convince people to educate people, to dissuade people from poisoning themselves. Follow the money. Always follow the money, folks. I have never seen America more greedy than it is today. And we're all paying a price for this. And in the middle of this whole circus, California is about to declare itself a sanctuary state. And incredibly, an article that ran in the L.A. Times and elsewhere talked about how now... Believe it or not, the state of California is forming a task force to control the intelligence so that all the gang intelligence can be centralized and dispersed to law enforcement, which is a wonderful idea. We did something similar up at DEA with with a, a database so that we didn't trip over each other because it was also the danger that you could have two sets of undercover people buying from each other not realizing who's on first and what's on second. And that could be very dangerous. So the idea of a central control point for gang data, very good idea, super great idea. However, and there's always the however, and here's the however, California said that under no circumstances would gang information be shared with immigration. Let me repeat it. They're making certain to not share information, intelligence, about alien gang members with immigration. God forbid we should deport them. God forbid we should take the murderers, the the killers, the drug peddlers, the the, the thugs, and deport them. We are desperate to keep them here. God knows America needs more criminals. It takes my breath away. For 30 years, I worked for the INS. Half that time, I was assigned first for four years to the – or almost – I guess it was about four years – to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration here in New York City, and then for the balance of my career until it ended, uh, I was part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So what California is now doing is, the gloves are off. They're being very obvious now. There's There's no more games, no more lies, oh, the immigrants don't commit crimes, and we're talking about illegal aliens. They know they commit crimes. They know they're members of gangs. And California says, you will not share that intelligence about violent, murderous gang members with immigration. We don't want them deported. I want someone to get in front of a camera and a microphone in front of the people of California and explain why in the hell they are so determined to keep gang members in California that they will shield and harbor them From discovery by immigration that could deport them Or maybe put them in jail for a bunch of years Because they re-entered illegally after deportation Or perhaps they were found in possession of firearms These, by the way, are federal charges With heavy-duty penalties Why then? What rational reason could they possibly have For saying, you know what? We're going to make sure that immigration Doesn't know about these people We don't want them deported It takes my breath away Prisons optimistically are very often referred to as correctional facilities stop and think about what that means they use the term correctional facility for a specific purpose the purpose ostensibly is to correct the behavior of the criminals of the recidivists the idea is to reform them so when criminals get done paying their debt to society by serving out whatever prison sentence they were given and we put them back on the street, they don't go back to their evil ways. And some truly do a great job of mending themselves and, and going in a better direction. But not nearly enough of them do. Too many of them become recidivists. They commit more crimes. They make more connections in the jails. They're often recruited by the gangs in the jails. In some cases, terror cells recruit the criminals in the jails. And so instead of coming out of jail and looking for an honest job, they get out of jail and they're back to the gang and they're back to shooting and raping and looting and violence and and whatever other crimes they're into. The, The surest means of addressing recidivism where foreign criminals are concerned is to deport them. Deport them. Get them out of the country so that they don't threaten the residents of that community. And and, and let's look at something else. And this is not just about Latinos. Latinos aren't different from anybody else. When I hear about Latino voters, what I immediately think is racism and bigotry. An American whose last name is Rodriguez is no different from an American whose last name is Cutler or Goldstein or Jackson or Smith As Americans, we have common goals and common dreams, and I don't care if you lean to the left, the right, the center, or or if you do uh, pirouettes. The average Americans want just a few basic things, and we all want them, unless you're nuts. We want America's military to keep our enemies as far from our shores as possible. We want law enforcement to keep our streets as safe as possible for ourselves for our friends and family, and particularly for our children. We want the schools to educate our kids, and we want to know that any American, any American, irrespective of what, I come, what I've what i come to refer to as the superficial factors, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American, let's forget about all that superficial fluff, can write the next great American success story of he or she is willing to study hard, work hard, and perhaps benefit from a little bit uh, of luck. That's what everybody wants. It's common sense, it's rational, it's reasonable. How anybody could say, well, Latinos, however, want something different. If you believe that an American citizen who happens to have a last name of Rodriguez or Gonzalez instead of Smith, Jackson, or Goldstein is inherently different, You're a fool, and by definition, you are a racist. Americans, I would submit, ladies and gentlemen, Americans are Americans. We come in every race, every religion, every ethnicity, and no one should be less of an American or more of an American. We're simply Americans. And this notion, this toxic, divisive, disgusting notion that pollsters can go out there and talk about Americans and divide us up by our race, by our religion, by our ethnicity, you know, the the black vote, the Jewish vote, the Christian vote, bull. These pollsters are full of manure, and they need to be ignored. They need to be sent somewhere where they can't do any harm to anybody else. Yes, if you want to look at demographics and you want to look at income and education level and whether people live in the city or rural areas or how old they are, Yeah, there might be some sense to that. The guy that has the high school education who tends to do the less um, technical work, the work that doesn't require as much skill, is going to be more worried about an illegal alien taking his job than the guy that has a master's degree in computer programming who's probably more worried about the guy from India with the H-1B visa. So there might be differences there. But the dividing line is socioeconomic not race or religion or ethnicity. But if you look at the way these television programs, they bring these guys on with their magic markers and the lines are going up and the lines are going down and the Latino voter wants open borders. Latino Americans don't want MS-13 going to school with their children. Russian Americans, people of Russian ancestry, don't want the Russian mob going to school with their kids or or, or putting the, the squeeze on them when they have a business or the italian mob or every mob because understand something and i saw this up close and in person for 30 years as an immigration agent every every race every religion every ethnic group every everything has the good the bad and the ugly you know why we all bleed red and human nature is human nature is human nature This isn't a left or right issue, it's not a color issue, it's not a religion issue, it's human nature. And decent people, no matter race, religion, or ethnicity, don't want to be forced to be subjected to the threats posed by the criminal element of their race, religion, or ethnicity. It's that simple. It's that simple. We're all people. No one asks to be born, we don't ask to be born into a race, religion, ethnicity, we don't ask to be born as a, man, a boy or a girl, man or woman, whatever you want, whatever language you want. We're born through no direction of our own. We're here, boom. And if we're rational, reasonable people, we want to live in safety, and we want the opportunity to be successful, and we certainly want that for our kids. So I just had to make that point because I, I keep getting tired of reading about Latino voters. And, and, and these pusillanimous, gutless, ballless politicians who chase the Latino voter—you know—I it, have this image. If you've ever played with a puppy or a kitten with, with a with a flashlight or a laser pointer, and, and and the animal goes chasing after that glowing dot on the floor, that's these ballless, gutless politicians chasing after these ethnic voting groups that they've been told about. It's a fantasy. But they're too cowardly to know better, to to rationally think about it. They hire some consultant at a pretty penny, and that's why they need their campaign contributions. And they're sold this bill of nonsense, this malarkey. Oh, you want to attract a Latino voter? You've got to come out in favor of amnesty. Folks, this is a deadly mistake. But look at what's happening on college campuses across America. Look what's happening at Berkeley. I started out talking about Ben Shapiro, who does a phenomenal job. How in the world is Berkeley, the school that started free speech, the free speech movement at Berkeley? That's all we used to hear about when I was a kid. They're shutting down free speech. We don't want the conservatives to come on the campus and spew hatred. It's not hatred. They don't want someone coming on campus to provide an alternative viewpoint because they know that their screwball ideas can't withstand a debate. Had I not become a federal agent, I had planned to become a teacher teaching speech on the college level. I was on the debating teams in high school and college, and I've done my share of expert witness testimony in courtrooms and at congressional hearings. Debate is at the heart of democracy. Debate is the equivalent of intellectual capitalism. You bring your ideas, you bring your perspectives, your viewpoints, your orientation to the free market of debate and then the audience, the consumer, if you will, gets to decide what seems most sensible. What seems most sensible. And the screwballs that don't want free speech don't want free speech because they know they can't hold their own in a debate. They know that the fact Common sense, morality, and reasoning all oppose their position. The only alternative they have is to make certain that no one has any option but to follow their lead without question. That's how dictatorships and tyrannies begin. When you are denied the opportunity to hear an alternative message, it's an act of cowardice. If I disagree with somebody, I look forward to that debate because I believe that my beliefs are right and I can sustain those beliefs in an honest and open debate. When somebody knows they can't sustain their position and win a debate, you know that they understand that they are losers, but they also know that the only way they can win is by shutting down any disagreement any open debate where the audience will quickly come to understand that they are getting it totally wrong. And that's why you saw the disaster at Berkeley, and that's why they want to shut down debate. This isn't about not wanting people spewing hatred. I certainly don't like what, what other people might call hate speech, but who determines what's hate speech? I was a B'nai B'rith president way back when, when I was in high school and college. And the Anti-Defamation League is a wing of the B'nai B'rith. And the B'nai B'rith has written articles where they've said that Mike Cutler is anti-immigrant. Anti-immigrant. Now, how am I anti-immigrant? Because I dare suggest that the inspection process at ports of entry, the job I did for the first four years of my career, is important. That it's about keeping out aliens. And, by the way, you can go to Title 8, United States Code, Section 1182. Check it out for yourself. Uh, it, it's about keeping out aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases or mentally ill, or criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, aliens who have been previously deported, or aliens who, if they worked, would take the jobs of Americans. That makes me anti-immigrant. As an inspector, I admitted many more aliens than I denied entry to, maybe by a factor of a hundred or a thousand. When I was an adjudications officer for a year, I approved many more applications for for the green cards than I denied. I was happy to do it as long as the alien, to my judgment, based on my interviews and so forth, were legally entitled to get the green card. I didn't care about race, religion, ethnicity. Didn't matter. Didn't matter to anybody. If they're supposed to be married, you'd want to make sure they were living together. So we did the interviews like you've seen in those movies. That's what it was about. And when I was able to issue a green card, it made my day. I didn't take joy in saying no. I didn't take joy in arresting people who violated the law, even as an agent. Especially, though, when the person was a criminal, drug dealer, a terrorist, and I've arrested, investigated, all the above, Then, of course, I was thrilled to be able to do it, to get someone off the street that posed that kind of threat. But it's not anti-immigrant to enforce the immigration laws. We admit a million lawful immigrants every single year. We admit tens of thousands of non-immigrants. This is about making certain that people who come to our country don't hurt us, so that we don't have another 9-11, so that we don't have another San Bernardino, so that we don't have another Boston Marathon attack. That's what this is about. When you could see that MS-13 is alleged to have killed Something on the order of 20 children on Long Island in the last two years, and then you look at California that says we're going to shield gang information from immigration authorities. They don't care if these children are killed. They don't. And and the most often times, children killed by gang members are the members of the same ethnic immigrant community, for the most part. Not always, Not not 100 percent. But the preponderance of people killed by MS-13 are Latinos, Latino children. Very often, they're now recruiting as young as eight years of age in the public schools. And California knows this. But they are so craven, they're so determined to flood America with more and more and more people that they are willing to accept dead children to achieve a political objective. I don't know anything that could possibly be worse than that. I can't imagine it. I can't wrap my brain around it, that there are politicians out there that use the race card, the bigotry card, the xenophobe card, to justify blocking immigration agents from intelligence that could enable immigration authorities to take murderous gangs off the street. I want somebody who favors this legislation to explain it. They should be made to explain how they are willing to or actually want to take an active role in making sure that gang members don't get deported so that there will be more dead children. That's what they're calling for. There's no other way to explain it. There's no way of sugarcoating it. There's no alternative. There's no, well, on the one hand we have this and on the other hand we have that. There is no other hand. And the big fat lie that if we don't block immigration from those communities, then the illegal aliens won't come forward, that's more bunk, that's more lies. One of my key responsibilities when I was part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, one of my key responsibilities when for four years before that I was assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration, my key responsibility, or at least one of them, was to cultivate informants within the ethnic immigrant communities. And by the way, not just the Latino community, the Asian community, the Caribbean community, the European community. Again, every race, every religion has the good, the bad, the ugly. This isn't about going after one particular ethnic group. If that was what this was about, I could never have done my job, folks. My family was decimated during the Holocaust. I was named for my mother's mother, my grandmother, who died in Poland because of our religion, because we're Jews. The immigration laws are completely blind and neutral as to race, religion, ethnicity. So my job was to use my ability as an immigration agent to go into those communities and take illegal aliens who were willing to work with us and give them initially temporary lawful status. Ultimately, they were eligible for visas to come here. I've testified before a congressional hearing about that issue. And you hear the lie. Just like Obama said, well, imagine the poor alien that's going out for ice cream and a police officer says, where are you from? We're arresting you. That's not what's happening, not in the least. And very often the illegal alien who came forward, who was the victim of the crime or who had good actionable intelligence, was given lawful status in the United States. But the picture they paint, oh, immigration agents are thugs. A girl gets raped. And they go running into the emergency room and they slap the handcuffs on the girl who's bleeding and battered and say to her, as soon as they patch you up, we're deporting you. That's the imagery that they concoct. And then you wonder why twice the number of immigration agents have been injured in the street last year over the year before. Because of the lies being spewed by these disgusting, despicable, professional liars, the politicians who are out there recklessly Recklessly spewing lies and falsehoods about valiant federal agents who are putting their lives on the line, and the most often, most often, the people whose lives are that are protected, are in fact the immigrants, whether they're here legally or illegally. And I don't refer to an illegal alien as an immigrant, but my point is, it's the foreign nationals who are suffering the greatest, the greatest violence and so forth because of these policies and yet if you listen to the nonsense we've got to shield the immigrants we've got to protect the immigrants and and, and so I'm compelled to make a point the Los Angeles Times article talked about how the legislation to make California a sanctuary state was being designed to protect the immigrants so I want you to understand the madness to that statement, protecting the immigrants. When George W. Bush was sitting in the Oval Office and driving me nuts, quite frankly, over his immigration policies, he kept going around saying, we're going to make the immigrants legal. We're going to give them a guest worker program. We're going to legalize the immigrants. And when I went out there and did public speeches, and I, I do lots of them, I'm on, I'll be on the road again this week heading to St. Louis with Alan Freed Associates, their Speakers Bureau. I was uh, with their folks in Washington last week, in fact. I remember being at a number of those events and other events around the country. And, by the way, if any of you are aware of any uh, speaking opportunities, please let me know. You can reach me through my website, michaelcutler.net. But when he made those statements, I used to go up on stage with a glass of water, and I would say, you know, Offering to make immigrants legal is not unlike me offering to make water wet. Water is already wet. Immigrants are already legal. What Bush was talking about was illegal aliens. But he fell right into that game, that Orwellian game, of obfuscating the issue by using false language, false and misleading language. Illegal aliens are what he was talking about that he wanted to legalize immigrants are here legally to begin with so he was offering to legalize illegal aliens but that wouldn't sound so good so he said we're going to legalize the immigrants now the headline is we're going to protect the immigrants from immigration immigrants are legal immigrants don't need protection from immigration Immigrants need protection from the gangs of foreign nationals who've come into the country and live in their communities and threaten their safety and threaten the safety of their friends and families back home. That's why they're called transnational gangs, because they have a foot in one in two or more countries. It's not only the damage they do here. They'll go up to some guy and say, by the way, I know where your sister lives back home. You either help me or we're going to get a hold of your sister or your mother, or your brother, or whomever, transnational gangs, right? So we hear this nonsense that California is protecting the immigrants. That goes with the narrative of being anti-immigrant if you don't want to allow terrorists and criminals to enter the United States. You're being anti-immigrant if you don't want foreign workers to come to America, causing Americans to lose their jobs, or at the very least, suffering wage Uh, suppression because we flood the labor market with foreign workers which alan greenspan spoke so eloquently about when he referred to american high-tech workers as the privileged elite earning a wage premium because they were being shielded from foreign competition well you're damn right they're being shielded that's why the immigration laws were initially enacted to protect american workers from third world workers because third world country workers bring with them third world expectation of wages and working conditions that folks is how we built the middle class the labor department used to run immigration and so americans didn't have to compete with some guy who thought that a bowl of almost warm rice and a dollar a day was was a a living but look at the lies and look at how it's obfuscated the issue Look how we've confounded any honest conversation in America today. So you've got California not protecting immigrants, but protecting gang members, people who entered the country surreptitiously. And these politicians understand that. Chuck Schumer understands it, as long as we're not talking about immigration. Because it was Schumer, I remind you, who just a couple of years ago said, look, we need to pass federal laws that would make trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a felony under federal law with a five-year penalty. He said, in New York, it's only a one-year penalty, and these people are only getting a couple of months in jail, and that doesn't deter anybody. And then he even talked about a 16-year-old boy who climbed the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan that was built to replace the Twin Towers, and this air-headed kid, according to Chuck Schumer, needs to be put into a prison cell for five years because what he did was dangerous. That's pretty strong stuff, Chuck. However... When you trespass on America, the same Chuck Schumer says, oh, now you've earned citizenship. Never mind that we give citizenship to five million, to, to one million uh, immigrants every year. We naturalize them. There's so many, in fact, there's no real background investigation the way the law requires. Each one of those applications is supposed to undergo a good moral character investigation. But we got rid of that with the Bill Clinton administration when Doris Meisner, our commissioner, said, oh, this is slowing down the process. What do you mean we have to interview these people? She kept hiring more adjudicators. I guess these people were flipping hamburgers at McDonald's the week earlier. Maybe they should be giving out French fries with the naturalization certificates. And she says, you know, no matter how many adjudicators we hire, we can't get the process to work quickly enough, so let's stop doing interviews. I kid you not. It was called Citizenship USA CUSA. And it led to people screaming at the top of their lungs who worked for the INS. You know, all too often, and I saw this with with some speeches that I heard this past week, some conservatives think, oh, the unions are terrible and civil servants are terrible. We aren't. I was a civil servant for 30 years, and I'm proud to say it. And it was the unions who were the whistleblowers alerting everybody to the perils of what was happening. And it was the union and those civil servants who went to the inspector general and said we're being ordered to do something illegal that's dangerous because they found that because of meisner and the clinton administration 1.1 million aliens were given united states citizenship and thousands upon thousands of them had criminal histories they gave them their naturalization certificates before the fingerprints even came back think about that just realize that people on any job can be good or bad it's not the profession a person there's good doctors and bad doctors good pilots and bad pilots uh, there's even some good politicians i think of my good friend lou Barletta. i think of chuck grassley i think of a whole bunch of folks who try to do a good job unfortunately they are in the exception when you're dealing with politicians but this notion that the civil servants are the enemy they aren't the problem always comes from the top there's a wonderful yiddish expression that says that when the fish goes bad it smells from the top We finally have a president who understands sovereignty, who understands immigration. He has an attorney general by his side. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Jeff Sessions. I've been with him on a number of occasions. He's quoted me from the floor of the Senate when I wrote an article and called Comprehensive Immigration Reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. If you look at the president's executive orders on immigration, it's not what the media says they are, it's not about bigotry or xenophobia. You know, they keep calling the the president's travel ban the travel ban. I'm sorry that he's now using the terminology. The actual title of the so-called travel ban is protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. Who in their right mind could be opposed to that? Who in their right mind could be opposed? And it's not about keeping out Muslims. It's six countries on the list and it doesn't include Indonesia and other Muslim countries. In fact, Indonesia by itself is the most populous Muslim-majority country, and the population of Indonesia by itself is roughly equal to all six of those other countries. So this isn't about keeping up Muslims either, but this is the nonsense of the media. And so it was ironic that I found myself, Constitution Week, being the keynote speaker, because first, and foremost the constitution addresses freedom of speech the right for peaceable assemblage and so we're drawn back to berkeley and what we saw in the news footage was anything but peaceable assembly this should worry us this should worry us the idea that there are there is a generation of students growing up in america who believe that freedom of speech needs to be eradicated should send a chill down your spine. Where will this lead our country? There's a great song that Sinatra sang, Frank Sinatra, you know, about America. and one of the things, one of the lines in his song is he talks about the wonders of America, and America is its people, you know not mountains, streams or cities, it's people. And he said, the right to speak your mind out, that's America to me. If those clowns and buffoons at Berkeley, the thugs at Berkeley, have their way, you won't have your right to speak your mind out. You will be told what to say. You will be told what to think. And God forbid that day should come, freedom will be gone. Words and thoughts are inextricably linked. That's why I've got an article coming out for the social contract within the next couple of weeks for their fall edition the title of my article, The Road to Tyranny is Paved with Words Lost to Censorship. When you can control language, ladies and gentlemen, you can control thought. This is a battle for freedom. This is a battle to upend our country. That's what the bad guys are trying to do and turn America into a tyrannical nightmare. It needs to stop. It needs to stop. No one should have the right to tell anyone what to say or what not to say. Sure, you're not allowed, for obvious reasons, to scream fire in a crowded theater. But to stand up and say we've got a series of laws that need to be enforced because the 9-11 Commission was clear about it? And if you dare say that today, you're going to be labeled as an anti-immigrant xenophobe? This is madness. And complacency isn't going to help us ignoring it and saying it's going to go away isn't going to help us. I'm sure there are people that are very concerned about North Korea, and they're saying, well, Donald Trump is, is really going after this guy. What choice does Trump now have? For decades, politicians unwilling to confront the growing menace. You know, if you have a leak in your roof and you allow it to keep leaking and you don't do anything about it, eventually that leaking roof will take down your whole house. For decades, our politicians, pusillanimous cowards, refused to confront the growing peril, whether it was Iran, whether it's North Korea. We're now paying the price. The chickens are coming home to roost. <clears throat> and the only thing that uh, Rocket Man understands is force. You always negotiate out of a position of strength. You know, JFK had this wonderful saying, we must never negotiate out of fear, but we must never fear to negotiate. The same can be said about freedom of speech. Every soldier who has given his or her life defending America in large measure did so to defend our freedoms, and first and foremost is freedom of speech. Because without freedom of speech, there are no other freedoms. There are no other freedoms. Control language, you control thought. Control thought, there is no freedom. So when I looked at those horrific images of what was going on at Berkeley, and I reflected on it when I stood before those wonderful folks at Grand Lake, Colorado, where we didn't need $600,000 worth of private security. We didn't need any security at all, and not everybody there was a quote-unquote conservative we had a wonderful series of conversations after the event where I chatted with so many people and they came from all parts of the political spectrum which to me is America the wonders of America and we had honest conversation it wasn't strident it wasn't accusatory it wasn't nasty it was civil it was polite it was wonderful it was wonderful If there's any negative about Grand Lake, it's that it's 8,400 feet above sea level. And as a guy who's used to living at sea level, um, I found myself short of breath all too frequently. But I'll tell you what also took my breath away was the vistas of that beautiful town in the mountains of Colorado. The Rocky Mountains are spectacular. And the cabin that I stayed in, again, uh, provided to me by Tom Goodfellow, Um, to stand on my deck in the morning with a cup of uh, coffee in hand and look out on the mountains and the lake around me. Um, I took pictures. My family couldn't believe that they were for real. It was a magnificent place to be, but the thing that impressed me the most wasn't the mountains. Just like that song, What is America to me, it's its people, the people of Grand Lake who were happy to engage in discussions, who showed me warmth and hospitality. And all the while, I couldn't help but think about Ben Shapiro and the courage that it took for him to go into the belly of the beast at Berkeley. What a way to think of a college university in the United States, the belly of the beast. Because God forbid his viewpoint didn't coincide with the viewpoint of the thugs. And by the way, on many issues, I don't consider myself a conservative. I don't agree with a lot of stuff Ben Shapiro says. I do agree with some of the stuff he says. But he has every right imaginable to say what he wanted to say. That's what free speech means. Speak your opinion freely, confidently, without fear of reprisal. Think about that. That's what America is and what it has always been. And now we've got some individuals who are trying to rob us of that, rob us of our freedom, rob America of its destiny at one of the most perilous eras in American history. This is about our future. It's about our children's future. It's about our grandchildren's future. We really need to take a stand, and it needs to be done in a civil rational fact-based fashion but we need to speak up we need to write to the editors of newspapers and we need to call the news media and hold them accountable they don't have a less license to become arms of the propaganda machine we know what's going on in the world largely because of how the news is reported and when the news is not reported accurately we have a very severe problem And we need to speak out. We need to let the politicians and we need to let these so-called journalists, who are journalists in name only, that we are not as stupid as they hope we are. We need to point out the facts, the irrefutable facts, of what the 9-11 Commission warned about, that it was multiple failures of the immigration system that repeatedly permitted terrorists to gain entry to the United States, Embed themselves in communities across the country. That is to say, they were able to hide themselves in plain sight, and go about deadly preparations. We saw it before 9/11. We saw it with Kansi, the guy that shot up the CIA, the guy from Pakistan in 1973. We saw it at the first bombing of the World Trade Center. And what's so remarkable about the bombing of the Trade Center in '93? was two days short of the fifth anniversary of that bombing that killed six and injured more than a 1,000 people. Think about the magnitude of that attack. Inflicted more than a half billion, with a B, half billion dollars in damages in that once iconic centerpiece of the lower Manhattan skyline. Damn near brought one of the buildings down sideways. Had that happened, I don't even want to imagine what the casualty count would have been. The seawall would have ruptured. The Hudson River would have flowed freely into lower Manhattan. Buildings would have toppled into buildings that would have looked worse than any science fiction movie you've ever seen. God only knows how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands might have lost their lives. And so they had this hearing on February the 24th, 1998, two days short of the fifth anniversary bombing at the Trade Center carried out by aliens, from the Middle East who gamed the visa process, gamed the um, amnesty program. One, Mahmoud Abu alima got agricultural amnesty, a gift of Chuck Schumer. The guy claimed he had picked beans in Florida when the only thing that he ever planted was a bomb in the garage of the World Trade Center. And Dianne Feinstein said, you know, maybe we ought to stop giving visas to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism, kind of like what Donald Trump is now saying. Nobody fainted, nobody screamed, and nobody rioted. She challenged the idea about continuing the the, um, visa waiver program. Well, I've I've been screaming about that forever. And then she said we certainly ought to rethink the notion of providing education in biochemistry and nuclear physics and other high-tech areas to citizens of countries that sponsor terrorism because we're educating our enemy so that they can build weapons of mass destruction and one day, God forbid, kill us. Nobody screamed, nobody fainted, and this was 1998, three years before 9-11. After 9-11, Donald Trump, who has said basically the same things that Dianne Feinstein said, has called every name under the sun. You look at the, the wackaloons in Hollywood jumping up and down and making fun of the president of the United States. If they really think that this is such a bad way to go, then I recommend they go to China. I recommend that they get tickets and go to North Korea. I recommend that they go to Cuba. I recommend that they go live in a country where there's a dictatorship, where their nonsense won't be tolerated. And then maybe they'll have an appreciation for what America really is. Does America make mistakes? You're damn right it does, but I'll tell you what. I'll put America's mistakes up against any other country's mistakes. And I'll gladly come back to this country, because time and again, this country has done everything possible to live up to its lofty goal of, in order to create a more perfect union. That which man creates is never perfect. We are a flawed species. And every day I pick up the newspaper, it becomes ever more apparent. But this country has made incredible strides to be the best it can be, And to have lame-brained kids and thugs who hate freedom attempt to undermine our form of government, our way of life, the achievements of the American people, is more than I have the stomach to tolerate and not take action. And that's why I do this program, and that's why I've been traveling around the United States trying to wake up our fellow Americans, trying to wake up our politicians so that they can come to an understanding of just how important it is that no matter what pressure is being applied by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the other globalists, that America, for once and for all, secures its borders, gains some control over its destiny through control of the borders, enforce fairly but effectively the immigration laws, and make certain that we do what's in the best interests of we the people. That's what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen, and if you agree with me, then I simply ask that you forward information about my program, about my articles, whether it's capsweb.org, frontpagemag.com, the social contract, or, of course, my website, uh, michaelcutler.net, and um, help out with my bucket brigade of truth, as I have come to call it, because I would remind you, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. I thank you so much for joining me this evening. I hope you'll be joining me again next week at the same time right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Again, have a wonderful weekend, everybody, and I uh, hope it's a good year for everybody, no matter how you measure the year. Be well. See you next week.